You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. And if you would open your Bibles um, to Luke chapter chapter 2, and uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be looking at the Christmas story together. Um, let me just pray before we begin. And so, Father, and... Um, such familiar circumstances, um, familiar people around us, um, traditions, uh, the clothes, um, the cookies, and all the things, Lord, um, I pray just as we um, enter into your scripture that we would see it new again. Sometimes it's hard to look at an old story and see it through new eyes. And so um, I have this weird prayer this morning, but Lord, would you help us to grow down? Would you help us to um, see this story new this morning? Help us to not see it moving backwards, like already knowing what happens at the end of it, but help us to walk the way we walk life, going forward, and, um, and to, see, um, to see Christ even in this moment, um, and even in, 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 the, in the day that we're in. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. It says uh, in verse 1, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. I'd like to give a shout-out to uh, our dear friend Brian Flora. He's not here today, but uh, he played a wonderful villain in our Christmas nativity last uh, Sunday when we were gathered here. Every good story has to have a good villain, and, and the villain can't just be, you know, redundant and sort of uh, stereotypical. You know, he has to have a little bit of a Lord Farquaad kind of a vibe to it. Kind of an obtuse haircut helps a lot, I think, and just sort of weird eye contact and not looking at the right things, something along those lines. But I do think that Brian did a great job with his role as well as a lot of the volunteers, you know, in, in the kids' area, uh, serving tirelessly uh, each Sunday. Uh, so we're grateful for them. Verse 2 says, This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Um, seems like every year, even the first Christmas or, or our Christmas of 2023, there's always this kind of census, isn't there, um, that we kind of add up our life. Did we do enough? Did we make enough? Did we get the boxes checked? Um, did we serve enough? Did we give enough? And, and in many ways, uh, fear can kind of gnaw at our heart a little bit in days like this. You just didn't do enough. You didn't make enough. You didn't get enough done. You didn't serve enough. You didn't love enough. You didn't do enough. And that, and that census uh, can kind of audit our life, uh, not in our favor. And um, I think it's uh, this verse, you know, that really draws a great distinction between Jesus and Caesar is, you know, Caesar, Caesar counts people by numbers. Jesus counts people by names. And... Um, and Caesar's always asking, hey, man, you need to do more. You didn't do enough. And Jesus always says, like, it's finished. I'm enough. I'm enough. So verse 3 says that everyone went to their own town to register. So there's lots of, um, one of the great things about Christmas is that there's so many surprises. There's so many things that are going to happen today that you didn't know were going to happen. Some of those things are going to be fun surprises. Some of those things are going to be not so fun. Uh, things that, uh, that you plan, some of the things are going to be very, very spontaneous. For the kids, I feel like it's all a great, big, happy surprise. Parents, maybe not, not, not as much. Uh, lots of fun expressions. I mean, I feel like next to the kids' surprises uh, for what Santa does, you know, on Christmas Eve, it's the husband's faces can be just as surprised as the kids sometimes as to what they find uh, from Santa. Uh, makes you believe again, you know, uh, under the tree. Um, you know, this year, if you're a Clemson fan, it might have been a bit of a surprise to find out you're, you know, 500 at this time uh, in the year. Uh, it's always a surprise, uh, you know, for me as a Southerner to find it to be tropical outside, you know. Um, in, in the middle of Christmas, um, or if it, if it snows, one year it snowed, that can be always a southern in the snow. 
And uh, one thing that always shouldn't surprise me, but it does, is, uh, is uh, husbands in the room, you, you know this, is that uh, how many of you guys, the, the, the look on a husband's face when the wife finds the thing that you've been looking for for 45 minutes and she finds it in 10 minutes? You guys notice this, right? You just find it, and, you, and, you, and you, when you start looking for the first 10 minutes, you really debate on asking them to find it because you kind of know they're going to find it before you do. And so it just creates this tension and this pressure that you, you don't, don't enjoy. Um, and, uh, and then when they find it, you know, the question really becomes, is, is it just that they're a better looker than me, or are they just a better person than me? Because let's be honest, you know, like, they just are just killing it in all these ways. And uh, I, I watched this YouTube, it changed my life, it was good about, uh, you know, hus- husbands and wives, and, and, and the difference, you know, the guy was talking about is that, you know, whereas wives are, are, are uh, husbands are waking up usually with one or two thoughts in their head, wives are waking up with like 200 thoughts in their mind. They're constantly thinking, that's the thing you find out as you're married, they're thinking about all the things, in the in-laws' presence, and, and where the kids are, and who needs to have this type of a talk, and that type of talk, and what needs to be cleaned, and these things. They're thinking about 200 things all at once, and that is a, a crazy, uh, heavy, heavy burden to bear, uh, whereas uh, sometimes uh, husbands, you'll go up, um, uh, wives will come up to their husbands in the morning and say, what are you thinking about? And they'll still not say nothing. And when they say nothing, they really mean nothing. They're literally thinking about zero things. You know, um, the reason why the trick, the trick for, for wives and husbands is, is the reason why wives will find things faster is because they're always looking. They're always got their eyes. They're always watching uh, the things that need to be taken care of and, and cared for. Um, and, and they show that all people, wherever married or unmarried or single, is that really, uh, you know, it's true that we do find what we're looking for. It's funny that when you're looking for Honda pilots, you see Honda pilots. When you look for people's flaws, you'll find them. Uh, and, and when you're, uh, there's people on this earth that it seems like everywhere they look, they see God. And some people, everywhere they look, they can't find God. But we do end up finding not all the time what we see, but what we're looking for. And isn't it, isn't it interesting, even in this story in, in, in our lives, that oftentimes God shows up most often in the places we least expect it. That as we read the scripture and walk out our days in this life, you almost have this new category of like, let me think about where I'm not looking, and that's probably where I'll find God. Is that I'll find God not where I, I most expect it, where I least expect these people, you know, the world, all on its knees before Rome, 23% of the globe has its neck under the foot of, of the Roman Empire, thinks that the Savior is going to come from Rome. But the Savior is coming from Bethlehem. Uh, you know, we oftentimes think of, of, of the kingdom of heaven coming maybe through the next election, but oftentimes it comes maybe through a neighbor, neighbor through a stranger. Uh, the, 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 the Jewish people thought that, um, that if the Savior was coming, if the Savior was coming on Christmas Eve, that he would have come through Jerusalem. He would have come through the place that David and Solomon built. He would have come through the temple, but he didn't. He come through, came through Bethlehem. Or maybe we would have thought that he would have come from the sky. But um, both them and us are surprised to find him where we least expected to come into the barn of Bethlehem. And so I think the reason why God oftentimes shows up in places that we least expected is because we look for him in all um, the wrong places. That, uh, that this year, you know, that God has been showing up. And, uh, and in the crisis... Um, uh, sometimes if we are not looking for it, we might not see that, that in the confusion and in the conflict that, that Jesus was showing up in the people that he was putting in your life to walk through that crisis with. That it's really those, that the, the great surprise, the expectation was that he wasn't trying to show you and fixate on the crisis as much as the, God, the people that God put in your boat to go through that crisis together, that he's showing up in places that we, that we least expect it. Or, um, or maybe uh, this, this year that, that we hope that God continues to speak in us and through our church, but also he speaks to us on Woodruff Road where we least expect it. You would never think that God would speak to you, you know, in the car listening to a podcast or in a prayer, but sometimes God shows up where you least expect it, you know, on Woodruff Road. Or the word Bethlehem itself means bread, a house of bread, to remind us, of course, of manna, that oftentimes that God shows up not through the people that are far off and, and distant from us, but the people that we're close enough to eat with the people that we do our lives with and family and neighbors and so forth. 
So it says in verse 4, So Joseph, often, or Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And verse 5 says, He went there to register with Mary, and he was pledged to be married to him. She was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And when the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to him, pardon me as I have a technical malfunction here. There it is. Birth to her firstborn son, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them um, in the inn. So we don't want to um, rush forward into this story, getting to the end too quickly without walking forward the way that Mary and Joseph walk forward in this testimony. These guys were teenagers. They've never had a baby before. They don't know what it's like to even check out a hotel room or whatever. They don't know what it's like to pilgrimage across a violent military uh, space. They don't know what it's like. They've never been here before. These guys are being pursued and chased. They're being chased by, by Herod, but also chased by their thoughts, chased by um, the guilt and the shame that comes along with uh, the testimonies that it means sometimes to walk out in this life and, and, and even to be rejected. They're, they're, they're living Christmas in a crisis. And so I think in this crisis, this couple gives us this kind of rule of thumb. You know, Mike Tyson says you want to have a plan because everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, and the plan has to be simple. You know, if like there's a fire in your house, what do they tell you to do since you're in elementary school to stop, drop, and roll, you know? Uh, or uh, if you're in a crisis situation, you know, if you're in a, in a Target uh, return center on December the 26th, what's the answer? The customer's always right. That's the answer, you know, if you're in a crisis. Always have a, a simple rule of thumb. Or as the great Dwight Schrute said in the office one time, uh, if you need to make a hard decision, just ask yourself, would an idiot do that? And then if he would, just don't do that thing, uh, is the wisdom that Dwight Schrute tells us. And, uh, and Mary and Joseph, this couple in crisis, you know, that, that teaches us this really, I think, great um, rule of thumb to think about if it is that we're coming into an unforeseen crisis or uh, if we are being chased by, uh, by our bills or being chased by our past or being chased by our thoughts um, or if we are rejected. If, if we're in a crisis, the rule of thumb might be this in verse Four, Joseph went up. If you look at the scriptures all throughout the Old and New Testament, up is always the right direction. Abraham, when he went to go sell his wife, you know, into, into Egypt or trade his wife, he went down. That was not the right direction. But Joseph, when he went to pursue and inquire the Lord, he went up. When Abraham went to sacrifice his son and be obedient, he went up. You know, when, um, when Stephen stood up to give his witness in the, in the temple, in Acts, he, he went up, up as the right direction. It says that Joseph, in his moment of crisis, he went back to who he was. He went back to Bethlehem. In the moment of crisis, the pause, to not be driven forward to react with the rush of the urgent, to remember who God is and who you are. That Mary went back to her pledge. Mary went back to her yes, like when everything was confusing and she didn't know what she didn't know, she went back to what she did know. She went back to her pledge, she went back to her yes, and nowadays with our GPSs, we get everywhere so fast. But what was the conversation like as they, as they made their way into Bethlehem, that journey? As they went up, there's a process between the leaving you know, of, of the colony and getting you know, back to the place where they, they started from in Bethlehem to remember who God is and who they were and what they were called to do. And, and in days like this, we're, we're almost taught inevitably that, that being alone with God is, uh, is something to be scared of. That, 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 that being alone always leads to loneliness, but Jesus was never lonely when he was alone. That Jesus oftentimes went up. 
He was not scared to go up. In the scriptures, even in Isaiah, when it says the darkened heart of the world, you know, we tend to look down. And even as we know of ourselves, whether we're adults or kids in the room, like there's not a lot of happiness when you're looking down. The worst place to look when you're, when you're looking for joy, when you're looking for happiness, is to look at the stuff, to look at the presence or what you have or what you don't have, the money, you know. Probably the second best place, but not the best place, is to look around. To look around at the people, you know, that reflect the, the gospel to us and remind us of who God is and, and who, he's, who he is and what he's doing in our life. But, but the scripture is always telling, whether Old or New Testament, the best place to look um, in moments of crisis, you know, in, in, in moments of unforeseen circumstances, is not to look down at the stuff or look around at the people, but to look up at God, to see things from God's perspective, to, 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 to sort of demand that if I have 10 minutes to pray, I'm going to spend one minute on my problems, but I'm going to spend the first nine minutes on praise. I'm going to spend the first nine minutes of my day, even in the next couple of days as things are going to get busy and fast and you're seeing people that you have high stakes for for the conversations. There's so much more leverage if I spend the first nine minutes in praise and spend the last 60 seconds in problems. When I, when I approach my day by looking up from God's perspective, we have an opportunity to say, I'm going to wait on the Lord. To simply say, I refuse to move on this problem by reacting to the problem. I'm only going to respond to the identity of God. I'm only going to look up. So he goes up, and verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, and she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in the manger because there was no guest room at the inn. And so here it is, I think, the reason really why we oftentimes look for God in all the wrong places and therefore see him in the place that we least expect it, is because we're reminded at times like this in Christmas that Jesus came to us as a gift and not our plan. The reason why the shepherds weren't ready, the reason why they were asleep, the reason why Caesar's going crazy as a tyrant on the earth, the reason why Mary's not prepared to have this baby is because the plan of salvation was not the plan of Mary and Joseph. In other words, Jesus came to Mary and Joseph as a gift, not as their plan. They didn't strategize it. They didn't think of it. They didn't put it on a whiteboard. They didn't have it in their iCal. They didn't have it on a reminders to-do list. It came to them as a surprise because, because gifts can't come to us through plans. They have to come to us as gifts, as things that we didn't plan. And so when you think of all the characters in the Bible, whether it's Abraham who sacrificed his son or went up to the you know, Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son or Noah that had to build a boat in a place that's never rained before or Moses that got rejected by the Pharaoh and by his people or David who, um, who found himself you know, broken and contrite, you know, as a sinner and chased around by Saul's entire life, the evil inside of him, the evil around him that brought him to his knees, or Peter, who denied Jesus three times, or Paul, who, was, uh, who stoned Christians and, and had, a, had that thorn in his side until he was ultimately martyred for his faith, or John that was boiled alive. If you think about the great heroes of the faith and the ways that they were saved, none of them planned it. All of them were given a gift and none of them planned it. And so there's almost a way to say, to think about it this way in our life, if it is that we planned it, it's probably not the way or the only way that God's going to use our events in our life to save us. And if he's saving us through it, we probably didn't plan it. We probably didn't plan the sacrifices that it was going to take this year or being mocked by the people that reject us this year or, or the people that we rejected or sinned against this year or the ways that we've, we've, been, we've, been, um, we've been hurt or chased or tormented or whatever else may be. In other words, the means by which God saves his saints is, is very rarely planned because it's a gift and oftentimes costs us our plans. So then closing up, it says in verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord came to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring you great joy for all the people. 
I don't know about you, but if I ever had to um, request and an angel would come and help me or save me, I would request the David, uh, the Denzel Washington version of the angel. You guys from the 90s remember that movie? Uh, little, whatever his name was, uh, Denzel Washington came and helped the, the broken leaky, Dudley, the, the, the broken uh, um, uh, furnace underneath the church. Or at least Clarence, that, that bald kind of guy from uh, It's a Wonderful Life, came down and helped fix, fix the situation. I would want one of these really friendly, um, uh, cheerful, winsome kinds of, kinds of angels. You know, biblical angels are nothing like that. If you actually drew a biblical angel, it'd be like one big eye staring at you with a bunch of feathers just screaming at you and calling at you like a velociraptor, helping you become more afraid of them than the circumstance that's in front of you. Biblical angels are not a lot of times like the Hollywood angels. But if you look at all the different angels that go out throughout, you know, throughout the Bible, they're, they're not coming to fix a leaky faucet at the bottom of the church. The common message of every angel in the Old and New Testament is simply these two words that angels always show up to say to us, is to fear not. If an angel comes to you, if he looks like Denzel Washington, or if he looks like a crazy mythical bird, the angel is coming for one reason. It's usually this one simple message that he would say to us today, that Jesus would say to us today, is to fear not, which tells us really two things. Number one, is that the plans of God, why would angels have to come to tell us to fear not if not the plans of God are pretty scary? That oftentimes the plans of God, because they're gifts and not plans, have to come to us through plans that we didn't make, through sicknesses that we didn't ask for, through struggles that we didn't cause, through, through rejection or, or relational discord that we never would have hoped on our worst enemy or, or whatnot. Like, like in other words, angels wouldn't have to come and give the message fear not if there wasn't a reason to fear. And secondly, the reason why angels come and say, fear not, and instead of saying, let me fix this, is because angels are not coming to us to tell us to do something. They're tell us, coming here to remind us that it's already been done. That the, that the plans of God are not the same things as the plans of man. As a matter of fact, the plans of God often cost man the plans of man to receive the gift of God. And that, and that the, the, the girding and the confidence and the security that angels are often trying to bring us is remember that we are being saved, and we're not perfect yet, but we also have been saved, and it's already been done. That we're not healed yet, and some of this world, and some of us, even in our bodies, are achy and broken and, and, and hurt, and we are being healed, but we've already been healed. That God has healed us by his stripes. That there's still evil permeating around us, and there's giants in the land, and there's, there's empires that are physical, and there's empires that are spiritual, that are unseen, but all of those empires bow the knee to the kingdom of God. We aren't yet delivered, but we have been delivered. The angels only come to people in Christ to say, fear not, because the plans of God are often scary, but the salvation of God is already done. So verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace on those his favor rests. That's the message of Christmas. Not that we're in the first trimester or the second trimester or the third trimester. It's that phone call with the shouting kid in the background that we can even hear in this church service today. Like, he's here. He's here. And he comes to us in the most unforeseen circumstances, the ones we never would have picked, the numbers, ones we wouldn't have worst on our worst enemies, if only to remind us that Jesus did not come by our plans. He came to us as a gift, as a gift to be received. No matter what it is that we've done this year, and we have done so much, we have been so fickle and so self-centered and we have been so incapable of even fulfilling our own expectations or ideals. We, we have done so much. Even the richest of us, even the greatest capacities in life 
have so little. We are so poor. When every year the census comes and it's never quite enough, we're reminded that Jesus has to be enough or it's not enough. We're, we're thrust back by that census to the cross of Jesus to remind, her that, to remind us that he's already done it on, on our behalf. We have so little. Even as much as we've piled up this year, we still are so poor before him. And even when we feel so far off, when we're so far from Rome and so far from the temple, we're just in some barn, some measly little broken spot in our life, that little corner that we run to when we're tired and lonely and afraid and hungry and scared. Like he's right here, that he's here. He's right here is what the message of Christmas is saying. And so I love the candles that we'll light, you know, in just a moment. When you think about things like, you know, the roof and sunlight, you never see a roof having to wrestle to get sunlight. Never see a roof having to compete or climb a ladder to just have the sun hit it. The sun rests. It doesn't wrestle with the roof, right? Or Lake Jocassi, Lake Lure. Some of you guys will go on vacation. Then out to Lake the Lake. The lake's not wrestling to stay there. It just rests there. It's what lakes do. They just rest. There's no, no wrestling to be done. There's no fighting or being at the right spot at the right time or being ready for it or preparing for it. It just rests. Snow, I wish there was snow outside. Unfortunately, I, I got bad news for you. Kids, you know, no snow again this year. But in New York, when my, when my car was covered, you know, to the top of my Toyota Camry, you couldn't see a car. And the snow didn't have to wrestle. It just rested. And so the, the flame, you know, that we light on Christmas, I think every year, it tells us lots of messages, you know, about the warmth and the brightness of Christmas. It tells us that he's here, but it tells us that he's resting on us. The Caesar could not ruin Christmas because grace rests on those um, uh, on whom his favor rests. The shepherds couldn't run enough. They were asleep. They weren't even ready. The shepherds, they, they just had God's grace and glory rest on them. That Mary wasn't ready. And Joseph wasn't ready, and we're not ready, and we're not done yet, and the things aren't, aren't checked. But God still rests on us. That's the way that favor works, is that we don't wrestle for grace. It just rests on us. He's here. And good news from great joy for all people, glory of God in the highest, and peace on those on whom his favor rests. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.